the heart of Shaja. This is Pulse 95. Life Beats Beats. with Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95. Sabah al-khair and welcome to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. Now coming up from 11am, we're going to be talking about why we need a bit of crazy to get creative. I spoke to Dr. Leonard Molodinov, the theoretical physicist and best-selling author, recognised for groundbreaking discoveries in physics and has a passion for making science accessible and interesting to everyone. I talked to him about his book, Subliminal, How Your Unconscious Mind Rules Your Behaviour. It describes how a person's thoughts, decisions and feelings are profoundly influenced by the behind the scenes operation of the unconscious mind. But it's his latest book, Elastic, Flexible Thinking in a Time of Change that has everyone talking about how we need to adapt our thinking to thrive in the modern age. We talk unconscious bias, why you need crazy to be creative and why you should be thinking a lot more like ants. And what it was like writing a book with the late, great Stephen Hawking. That's all coming up in the second hour. But first, we're going to be talking education and assessments. What's the best way to assess what your kids are learning at school? Ahead of the Knowledge Series Conference, Transforming Education in the Northern Emirates, taking place this weekend, I'm going to be joined by Monica Hong of the UAE Ministry of Education and Alison Burrows, Education Consultant and Doctoral Student at Johns Hopkins University School of Education. If you've got questions on assessment or education, you can get in touch with the show right now. 4215 on Itasana, 2022 on Do. We're also on Instagram at Pulse95Radio. That's all coming up with me, Sally Musa, on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Yes, it's Life Beats with me, Sally Musa, and this hour we are talking education and in particular how we assess students at schools. Now, assessments are giving us uh, and the students, are they giving us the right information to grow and move forward or does it need to be done differently now to talk us through that and much more i'm joined by monica hong of the uae ministry of education and allison burrows education consultant and doctoral student at johns hopkins university school of education welcome to both of you Hi, thank Hi, you. Welcome. Really great to have you on the show. And this is, of course, ahead of um, the Knowledge Series conference that we've got going on in the Northern Emirates in Sharjah this coming weekend. There's a lot that is going to be talked about there. But one of the things uh, that is going to be covered is about assessments. And, and Monica, uh, one of the things that you do, uh, you, in fact, develop assessment materials uh, for elementary school students. And so, Alison and, and, and Monica, I do want to ask you, what should we be thinking about when we hear the word assessment? Is it because for me, it's just grades. You know, there are grades, they get sent to, to the parents. You look at the grades and you go, what happened? It's a, it's an abstract number, you know. Yeah, you make a, a very good point about that. And I think that, uh, you know, before we get into different forms of assessment, it's good to 
uh, talk about what assessment is. And essentially, assessment is collecting information about student performance and using that information to determine where they are in the learning process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's like different types of assessments of learning. So, you know, for instance, there is diagnostic assessment where you assess what students know as well as their strengths, weaknesses prior to instruction. And there's formative assessment where you assess a student's performance during instruction. And usually you want to do it on a continual basis throughout the instructional process. And summative assessment uh, measures a student's achievements at the end of instruction. And there's other forms of assessment like norm reference, criterion reference, and benchmarks. But um, out of all that I mentioned, I, I really do believe that formative assessment is truly the way in which effective learning and instruction takes place. All right. So from the perspective um, of a parent, let's just say, mm-hmm. um, when we're getting the report card at the end of the day, what are we seeing there? And is there enough information to tell us about the development uh, of our child and um, what they're learning or not? Alison, you should just shaking your head. Tell me. <laughs> well, uh, a report card is really a snapshot of a child. Report cards are more likely to be based on summative assessments. And a summative assessment, again, summarizes the learning of a child. Mm -hmm. Rather than formative assessments, where a formative assessment informs what the child already knows and where that child has to go. So I like to say that formative assessment informs instruction. Mm. Um, Give me an, an example of what that looks like. Well, it, it, it could be lots of different things. A formative assessment can be an observation. So while you're teaching, is the student engaged? Are they answering questions? Are they doing the task correctly? Mm-hmm. A formative assessment can also be a short quiz or perhaps reflective writing in the middle of a unit or a lesson so the student can reflect on what they already know and know what they still need to learn going forward. Mm -hmm. And in addition to what Allison was saying, I think that feedback is uh, one of the key factors in formative assessment where, you know, when you see a grade, you know, there's no, you know, detailed explanation of why this uh, student got this particular grade. But with formative assessment, it, it gives you immediate feedback on whether you understand what the learning task is or if you need to improve on uh, what the uh, current learning task is at hand. And, and so has assessment, has it changed over time? Um, has it changed enough to kind of uh, give p- parents enough information about what's going on? And indeed, even the students to inform them of how they're going and, and to give them the, the, the adequate feedback of um, where they can improve or how to improve or, you know, other different uh, kinds of feedback? So I guess uh, in order to answer your question, uh, you know, I, I can kind of go back to American uh, American education system where a lot of focus was on norm reference assessments, such as, you know, the SATs mm-hmm. and other uh, forms of assessment like that. And uh, there was a researcher by the name of Michael Scriven, who wrote an AERA monograph series on evaluation in 1967. And in his paper, he first coined the term formative and summative assessment in order to distinguish the different forms of assessment. And then in 1971, 
Bloom, Hastings, and Mattis published a book called The Handbook of Formative and Summative Evaluation of Student Learning, which brought these terms to the forefront of instructional design in the education system. And since then, there has been extensive research on this topic that suggests the importance of implementing not just standardized testing, but a variety of assessments that measure student performance, particularly formative assessment. Yeah. To piggyback off that, let's take, for example, this was some research I was reading yesterday. Yeah. Um, you have two students who both get an 80% on a math test. Mm -hmm. We as parents and teachers believe that both of these students are doing well. But if we look more closely at that math test, what can we say is the same about these students and what can we say is different? Did they both get an 80% because they're both proficient in the same skill set? Or did they both get an 80% because they're proficient in different skill sets within exactly. the mathematical topic? Surely so they this didn't is get the where, same questions correct. Right. They might have gotten different questions correct. So then this is where it's the responsibility of the teacher to look at what they did get correct and what they did not get correct and drive the instruction for these specific students based on that. And that is what formative assessment is doing. Mm. Summative assessment are these high-stake tests, these standardized tests, the TIMS, the PISA. The, the acronyms. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. The acronym tests, and which should just be abolished. Yes, and I, I, I don't support them because I don't believe that they show what a child knows authentically. Mm. You know, let's say the child didn't sleep the night before the test. How are they expected to do well? These are also computer adaptive tests. First graders, second graders, they don't know how to use mouses very well. Right. And here they are going into a room using a desktop with a mouse, having to take a test that will in some aspect affect the job of her or his teacher and the growth of this student. It's so interesting. Uh, we're going to be talking, uh, continuing the conversation with Monica and Allison in just a moment. Uh, it's such a great point. Exactly. How would you know? Yes, they do get the same mark, uh, but we need to dig deeper. And that is something that I want to ask you further about uh, coming up next on Life Beats. We're talking assessment and education. If you've got a question, please do uh, send it through now. Heart of Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Yes, it's Life Beats with me, Sally Musa, and this hour we are talking education and in particular how we assess students at schools. Now, assessments are giving us uh, and the students, are they giving us the right information to grow and move forward or does it need to be done differently? Now to talk us through that and much more, I'm joined by Monica Hong of the UAE Ministry of Education and Alison Burroughs, education consultant and doctoral student at Johns Hopkins University School of Education. Welcome to both of you. Hi, thank Hi, you. Welcome. Really great to have you on the show. And this is, of course, ahead of um, the Knowledge Series conference that we've got going on in the Northern Emirates in Sharjah this coming weekend. There's a lot that is going to be talked about there. But one of the things uh, that is going to be covered is about assessments. And, and Monica, uh, one of the things that you do, uh, you, in fact, develop assessment materials uh, for elementary school students. And so, Alison and, and, and Monica, I do want to ask you, what should we be thinking about when we hear the word assessment? Is it, because for me, 
it's just grades. You know, there are grades, they get sent to, to the parents. You look at the grades and you go, <laughs> what happened? It's, a, it's an abstract number, you know. Yeah, you make a, a very good point about that. And I think that, uh, you know, before we get into different forms of assessment, it's good to uh, talk about what assessment is. And essentially, assessment is collecting information about student performance and using that information to determine where they are in the learning process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's like different types of assessments of learning. So, you know, for instance, there is diagnostic assessment where you assess what students know as well as their strengths, weaknesses prior to instruction. And there's formative assessment where you assess a student's performance during instruction. And usually you want to do it on a continual basis throughout the instructional process. And summative assessment uh, measures a student's achievements at the end of instruction. And there's other forms of assessment like norm reference, criterion reference, and benchmarks. But um, out of all that I mentioned, I, I really do believe that formative assessment is truly the way in which effective learning and instruction takes place. All right. So from the perspective um, of a parent, let's just say, um, when we're getting the report card at the end of the day, what are we seeing there? And is there enough information to tell us about the development uh, of our child and um, what they're learning or not. Alison, you should just shaking your head. Tell me. <laughs> well, uh, a report card is really a snapshot of a child. Report cards are more likely to be based on summative assessments. And a summative assessment, again, summarizes the learning of a child. Mm -hmm. Rather than formative assessments, where a formative assessment informs what the child already knows and where that child has to go. So I like to say that formative assessment informs instruction. Mm. Um, Give me an, an example of what that looks like. Well, it, it, it could be lots of different things. A formative assessment can be an observation. So while you're teaching, is the student engaged? Are they answering questions? Are they doing the task correctly? Mm -hmm. A formative assessment can also be a short quiz or perhaps reflective writing in the middle of a unit or a lesson so the student can reflect on what they already know and know what they still need to learn going forward. Mm -hmm. And in addition to what Allison was saying, I think that feedback is a one of the key factors in formative assessment where, you know, when you see a grade, you know, there's no, you know, detailed explanation of why this uh, student got this particular grade. But with formative assessment, it it gives you immediate feedback on whether you understand what the learning task is or if you need to improve on uh, what the uh, current learning task is at hand. And, and so has assessment, has it changed over time? Um, has it changed enough to kind of uh, give pe parents enough information about what's going on and indeed even the students to inform them of how they're going and, and to give them the, the, the adequate feedback of um, where they can improve or how to improve or, you know, other different uh, kinds of feedback. So I guess uh, in order to answer your question, uh, you know, I, I can kind of go back to American uh, American education system where a lot of focus was on norm reference assessments, such as, you know, the SATs mm -hmm. and other uh, forms of assessment like that. And uh, there was a researcher by the name of Michael Scriven 
who wrote an AERA monograph series on evaluation in 1967. And in his paper, he first coined the term formative and summative assessment in order to distinguish the different forms of assessment. And then in 1971, Bloom, Hastings, and Mattis published a book called The Handbook of Formative and Summative Evaluation of Student Learning, which brought these terms to the forefront of instructional design in the education system. And since then, there has been extensive research on this topic that suggests the importance of implementing not just standardized testing, but a variety of assessments that measure student performance, particularly formative assessment. Yeah. To piggyback off that, let's take, for example, this was some research I was reading yesterday. Yeah. Um, You have two students who both get an 80% on a math test. Mm -hmm. We as parents and teachers believe that both of these students are doing well. But if we look more closely at that math test, what can we say is the same about these students and what can we say is different? Did they both get an 80% because they're both proficient in the same skill set? Or did they both get an 80% because they're proficient in different skill sets within exactly. the mathematical topic? Surely so they this didn't is get the where, same questions correct. Right. They might have gotten different questions correct. So then this is where it's the responsibility of the teacher to look at what they did get correct and what they did not get correct and drive the instruction for these specific students based on that. And that is what formative assessment is doing. Mm. Summative assessment are these high-stake tests the standardized tests, the TIMS, the PISA. The acronyms. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. The acronym tests, and which should just be abolished. Yes, and I, I, I don't support them because I don't believe that they show what a child knows authentically. Mm. You know, let's say the child didn't sleep the night before the test. How are they expected to do well? These are also computer adaptive tests. First graders, second graders, they don't know how to use mouses very well. And here they are going into a room using a desktop with a mouse, having to take a test that will in some aspect affect the job of her or his teacher and the growth of this student. It's so interesting. Uh, We're going to be talking, uh, continuing the conversation with Monica and Allison in just a moment. Uh, It's such a great point. Exactly. How would you know? Yes, they do get the same mark, uh, but we need to dig deeper and that is something that I want to ask you further about uh, coming up next on Life Beats. We're talking assessment and education. If you've got a question, please do uh, send it through now. This is Pulse 95. 95. Keeping it local. Keeping it local. All day, every day. Pulse 95. Heart of Shasha. Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Yes, you're back with Life Beats and me, Sally Musa, talking assessment and education today uh, with Monica Hong and Alison Burrows. And uh, we left off by uh, touching on the idea of the whole child, Alison. And is the idea of the whole child, first of all, what does that mean? Okay. And is it being reflected when we assess children? Well, when we think about the whole child, we're actually thinking about every single aspect of what it means to be human. So what schools usually look at are uh, content areas. So reading and math and history and technology and those other very academic content areas. But there's so much more to a person than academic content areas. 
Uh, research shows that emotional intelligence is a predictor of success in job and career. So as educators, we need to look at the emotional intelligence of a child. How can we enable chi children to get along with each other, to collaborate, to solve problems, to negotiate difficult relationships? Mm -hmm. And then there are other also intelligences that people have that aren't academic, such as physical intelligences. So these are your great athletes and musical intelligences and artistic intelligences. And so that's what I mean when I talk about the whole child. Right. What are we missing in schools when it comes to educating the entire child and not just the academic child? Exactly. And in terms of assessments, I don't know, is there an assessment that you can do with a child to, to measure emotional intelligence? Or is this where the, the non-graded um, types of assessments would come in? How would it work? I, I think that definitely I think that formative assessment is definitely the the perfect venue for uh, you know expressing all the different types of intelligences that Allison has mentioned. You know, so for instance, you know, if you're talking about um, you know reading about a story and you're exploring you know different emotions that a character goes through, uh, one of the things that <clears throat> that you can do is to you know get into pairs, get into groups, and talking about why this character is feeling a certain way and when has there been a time when you felt a certain way too and to share that with a classroom so using yeah. storytelling exactly as a way of communicating that and learning and building on that something i want to ask you uh ask the two of you about as well is teachers are teachers prepared for these uh kind of new types of assessments as well are they being supported at school enough uh, when it comes to this kind of thing? That is a difficult question to answer because teachers are being, uh, to, to, to be frank, there's a lot being thrown at teachers right now. Um, there's a lot of new research regarding teaching and learning that that all countries in the world are trying to implement into classrooms. Additionally, teachers are teaching with technology now. Technology is rapidly changing. Teachers need to keep up with these advantages in technology and learn how to use them in their classroom. So when it comes to training teachers on how to use assessment, that's one part of a very big picture, which is all the responsibilities that a teacher has to take on every day in the classroom. Mm. So. To answer this question, it depends on the school. If yeah. the focus of the school is we want to get a bigger picture and a more detailed picture of each student, then yeah, the school will provide those teachers with professional learning on assessment. If the school's goal is to increase reading scores, then the professional learning that teachers receive that year will most likely be around reading instruction. Mm -hmm. And in terms of uh, within the schools, uh, so uh, certainly talking in terms of the culture within each school, how can that influence um, how teachers are able to teach and assess effectively? It depends on the amount of agency teachers are given in the process. So some schools organize or work as top-down structures where yeah. the administration and the principal uh, continuously tells teachers what to do and what they need to learn in terms of their personal growth. Mm -hmm. But the research that I'm looking at now for my dissertation, and that's become a very hot topic, is around professional learning communities. And this is where you embed literally a community of learners inside the school. So now teachers aren't just teachers, they're also learners. And the goal is them for to learn 
how to become better teachers and more supportive of students. Yeah, and make sure that they are the ones who are empowered to be exactly. throwing out ideas and asking the right questions and, and uh, therefore improving the whole school. Exactly. So within a professional learning community, the change comes from within. So the school together, the administrators and the teachers set the goals collectively for what they'd like to, the school to do. And then they set their personal goals for what they would like to see themselves do or work on in their teaching. And then they partner with different members of the school community so that uh, teachers, let's say, who are excellent at teaching reading will mentor the teachers who are just learning how to teach reading. And the teachers who are excellent at teaching mathematics are now mentoring the teachers who are just learning how to start teaching mathematics. And then you have this professional learning community where all teachers are accountable and participating in their development as professional educators. Mm, mm, I love it. it it's, uh, how, that's how it should be. You imagine that that is how it should be. Uh, but something I want to ask you about as well is the unified inspection framework and how uh, that is going to enhance uh, assessments as well. Well, it's um, the unified inspection framework. What I like about it is it's always a work in process. So they're keeping up with and altering it based on what the research is saying. So a part of this inspection framework is they look carefully at how schools are both formatively and summatively assessing mm. student growth, yeah, which is a great thing because now we're seeing a real paradigm shift in not just looking at summative scores and this one snap snapshot of a child, but actually looking more deeply yeah. into what children are able to do and what they need help in doing. Yeah, I think an important question to ask is as well, uh, when you're looking at um, students, say, who have special needs, um, and making sure that students like that do not get left behind. Uh, where does assessment sit on that? There are different kinds of assessments for students with learning differences. We call these accommodations. Mm -hmm. So some of the assessments will give a child with a learning difference more time. Some of the assessments for children with learning differences will give the child a tool to help them take the assessment. So there are lots of different ways to authentically assess a child who has learning differences. Okay, we are talking to Monica Hong and uh, as you just heard, Alison Burrows here in the studio about assessments in education. And something I want to uh, come to uh, just after the break, Monica, is uh, the workshop that you're going to be conducting at the uh, North Northern Conference, uh, the significance of using formative assessment in the classroom. Lots more coming up on Life Beats right after this. This is Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. All right, uh, we are talking the Northern Emirates Education Conference. That is happening this weekend. We've got Alison Burrows. She is uh, one of the organizers of the conference. And also, Monica Hong, you are going to be um, conducting a workshop at the conference. Tell us more. So in my workshop, I'm going to focus more on formative assessment and the importance of implementing formative assessment in the classroom setting, as well as methods that educators can use to uh, 
in order to support effective formative assessment during instruction. Amazing. Okay, so this is going to be important for teachers to come along to uh, and to learn more from you. Um, what is it going to accomplish for teachers? What are you hoping for? Well, uh, to not only inform about the various forms of assessment, but for them to see how significant, uh, as mentioned in the title, how significant it is to incorporate uh, various forms of assessment into their uh, classroom. So, you know, for instance, we were talking about discussions and feedback and really uh, having the students to reflect on what uh, their strengths are and what they need to improve in the future. Okay, that sounds amazing. Um, but of course, there are other workshops, there are other lectures going on, Alison, yes. uh, throughout this uh, conference. It's happening on the 10th, is that right? Yes. Yes? Okay, yes. in Sharjah, here in Sharjah. Um, uh, tell us more about what uh, teachers and professionals can expect to see there. I'm just really excited about this conference because it's really the first of its kind in the Northern Emirates. So we find that so many education conferences occur in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, and these are really accessible for people, inaccessible, excuse me, for educators who live in the Northern Emirates. So we really wanted to bring a conference to them that was highly accessible and that builds a professional learning community. Exactly. For these educators, we have found local experts university professors who are doing research right here in the context of the UAE to present their learnings and their research and how that research can be applied into classrooms. Because it's so easy to bring this experts classroom, you right. know, from outside and, and share what they're learning. But right. it but has the to context, be local. Yes. So the context of the UAE is very specific. There's probably no classroom here that just has one nationality of students. No Kids way. here are from all over the world, and so are teachers. And you've got tons and tons of different nationalities in one school, and each nationality and each person brings their own culture, their own values, their own beliefs. So when we bring in experts from outside the UAE, some of them may not get the difficulty of the context here. Exactly. But when you find those experts that are here, they are so willing to help. They are so willing to participate. They want to share their research and they want to be a part of this kind of conference and event so they can really connect with schools and help them. Okay. How do people find out more about the conference? Uh, there's a website called the uh, called knowledgeseries.com. All the information regarding the speakers, the location, and the conference fees are there. Yeah. 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 You've been all over organizing this. Uh, yeah. It must be a crazy time. Amazing. Uh, but so who are your kind of, I don't want to say favorites, but who are you kind of really most looking forward to hearing from at the conference? Well, our keynote speaker is Dr. Paul Lieblick, who's... Um, Who was on the show last week. Yeah. Yes. This yeah. week, in fact. Yeah. And he's one of the co-authors of the PYP, and the UAE is very supportive of international baccalaureate IB schools. Mm. So to have him speaking at the conference and using his decades of expertise in international education to address these teachers is very exciting for me. It is very exciting indeed. I want to thank you both so much, Alison Burrows and Monica Hong. Thank you so much for joining me today. We're looking forward to the conference and, and looking forward to, to seeing uh, what comes out of it. Like you said, uh, you know, great minds will be connecting there. Uh, mm -hmm. Everybody can come along uh, and take education forward. Yep. We're yeah. very excited. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes. And uh, coming up in the next hour on Life Beats here on Pulse95, we're going to be finding out why you need a bit of crazy to be brilliant. That's coming up next. You're listening to Pulse95.
95. Keeping it local all day, every day.